This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 16th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. What is the role of the private sector in addressing poverty? At a Cato event in New York, Harriet Carr McDonald, president of the Doe Foundation, discussed some of the alternatives to government welfare programs in alleviating poverty. Almost 30 years ago, my husband George and I decided to solve a problem. Thousands and thousands of homeless people had appeared in transportation terminals, on our streets, and in our subways. We're Americans, and we're patriots, and we're family people. We came from careers in business, not social work. And we were convinced that homelessness could be solved. We believed in then, as we do now, that work is the solution to poverty. To us, it wasn't the homeless people or the people returning from prison that were the problem. It was the way we, as a nation, saw them. My husband and I spent months and months in Grand Central Terminal getting to know homeless people personally. My husband fed those people for 700 nights in a row, and he never missed a night. I can tell you that. What the people told us again and again, the people on the floor of Grand Central Terminal, that what they wanted was a room and a job to pay for it. And we believed them. Since then, as an organization, we have generated three quarters of a billion dollars in revenue. The formerly homeless men that we serve have put $250 million into their pockets from the hard work that they do. Our program has been replicated in Philadelphia, Boulder, Colorado, Atlanta, Georgia, and Washington, D.C. We have personally served over 21,000 individual human beings. Some of the revenue-generating work we do is cleaning the streets. We clean 170 miles of New York streets 365 days a year, rain or shine. We keep New York cleaner and greener and safer than it has ever been before. But years ago, when my husband George and I started, and we went to the city, and we said we wanted to put homeless people to work in a business, they almost laughed us out of the office. We heard the same thing over and over again, that it was impossible, that the people were either either too lazy or too crazy to work. The activists all said that the answer to homelessness and poverty was housing, housing, housing. Free, of course, except to us, the taxpayers. They still are saying that today, 30 years later. We knew the answer was work. It's what America is built on. And we knew that underneath the desperation, the homelessness, 
the living behind bars and the drug addiction were people, human beings. 70% of the people that we serve have been incarcerated for an average of eight years each. And 80% have used drugs for an average of 17 years. Half never graduated from high school, and one in five doesn't read at or below the fifth grade level. Almost none of them have histories of work, and all of them come from single-parent homes and the child foster care system. They begin immediately to go to work in our program, and they begin paying their child support out of what they earn. We insist upon it. After nine months with us, doing hard work, job training, skills training, and taking on personal responsibility, they graduate. They graduate drug-free. They graduate living in their own self-supported housing. They have private sector jobs, and they're supporting their children. Most importantly, what they really achieve is something no welfare check can ever, ever give you. And that's personal dignity. And it's full self-sufficiency. They become taxpayers. They contribute to society. And they are totally, 100% free of the welfare system. Which brings us to why we're all here today. What about the welfare system? What about the safety net? Why are working age people the one group whose poverty hasn't really changed in 50 years? With a safety net in place, why does a program like ours even have to exist? The answer is because subsidies don't work. People work. Work works. When Professor Bruce Western at Harvard studied us, he's one of the foremost experts on recidivism and criminal activity in the nation. The, the outcomes that he found were, in fact, staggering. 60% of the men that we serve do not go back to prison and go to work and stay at work. They don't commit violent crimes, 60% of them, three years after they graduate. Ready, Willing, and Able reduces recidivism. It reduces incarceration. I mean, it makes a dramatic difference in people's lives. A separate study shows that for every single dollar that is invested in Ready, Willing, and Able, the taxpayers save $3.60. You tell me what entitled pro entitlement program has ever done that.
The other thing is, from the people, what I hear now for 30 years, over and over again, is that this is the best opportunity they've ever had in their whole lives. Think about that. Living in a shelter, cleaning the streets every day, is the best opportunity they've ever had. You know, the first time I heard that, I cried. Now, what about the safety net? That Americans were promised 50 years ago. It seems to me that it's a net that's very different. One that tangles people up until there's no escape. A net that squeezes people into dependency and guarantees the same for their children. Instead of lifting people up, it traps them right where they are, an inch above the poverty level. From that place, it seems to me there is no way to grab the first rung of the economic ladder. It's just too far away. That's why in, we take people off all benefits the minute they come to us. They go to work. Instead, we replace the safety net with what we call the safety ladder. It's steps a person can climb and close the gap between poverty and climb the economic ladder. Sadly, over the last three or four years, the people in our program have gotten younger. 18 to 24-year-olds have now doubled in the number of people in our programs. These young men are the living, breathing echoes of the homeless crisis, of the crack epidemic, of, of the disintegration of the family unit, and the terrible, terrible failure of our educational system. Poverty, incarceration, drug use, welfare dependency, and racial strife are all different parts of the same issue. There are cycles that have inflicted generation after generation and have been handed down from parent to child to child. And for the people from the inside, they seem unbreakable and inescapable. But of course, we know they're not. Once person, a person takes an opportunity and lets go of the net that has tangled them up and starts to climb the economic ladder, the world looks totally different. Harriet Carr McDonald is president of the Doe Foundation. You can watch our full event, Can We End Poverty, at our website, cato.org.